Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Taking the Fields, a 24-7 sports podcast. I'm your host, John Fields, and joining me today, as always, is Matthew, Br- Matthew Bruni. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Um, just another week of basketball. Uh, you know, uh, football is starting to pick back up a bit, at least, you know, for LSU. For, uh, we'll touch on it a little bit for North Texas, but yeah, it's been a, been a good week. Not, not too cold and um, just uh, getting by. Yeah, no, I, I agree on that. It's been nice that it has warmed up a little the last couple of days because a couple of days ago when it got into like the 20s and stuff, man, that, that was a killer. I think it might have been the Thursday night when North Texas played Charlotte, but I was coming out of that game walking you know, back to my car from the arena and I was like, holy cow, dude, this is the <laughs> coldest it's been in a while. Yeah, uh, you know, a couple podcasts ago, we were talking about North Texas, um, you know, how they can improve. I think it was after the UAB loss. Mm. and uh, we're like, yeah, their shooting is is just going to kill them. Well, since then, John, it feels like they can't miss. And it's so ridiculous. You, you, do, you, do, you, do you think we should take credit for that? I mean, we have to a little bit, right? Because just when we said that, they turned that around. We mentioned Thomas Bell needing to step it up on a podcast a couple times ago, and he's stepped up now. I don't know, man. Seems like we got some kind of influence on this team. But um, <laughs> I mean, I, last I wanna, year... Last year, last year, I mean, I, I basically take credit for their 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 run because I motivated Javion single handedly. So <laughs> I, I think we're just doing that again at this point. Exactly, exactly. But I do want to touch on that the hot shooting because I mean, I was looking at the stats. They literally ended up right at fifty percent on three point shooting for both games. Eleven of twenty two against Charlotte, and then let's see, eight of sixteen, nine of eighteen against Old Dominion, like. You can't expect to shoot that way game in and game out, but I was looking at the stats in conference play, and they're like 40-plus percent through conference play. So they've been shooting the ball well regardless for the most part from deep. Um, It's just been – obviously, these games, it's been on a different level, but they're at 42% now for conference play. Um, And, I mean, it's really come around at the time when they've needed it because, I mean, the three-point shooting sort of single-handedly kept them in that Charlotte game early on when nothing else was really going down early before they got it going in the second half. And then obviously the three-point shooting again was pretty big against Old Dominion, getting them some baskets uh, early before they could sort of get established down low. So, I mean, overall the shooting has been, you know, a nice thing to see because they've really needed something to step up on offense. And these last two games, it really showed. Yeah, I think against Charlotte, if I remember correctly, the first five buckets were from three, right? I think they started like five and nine from three and O of six from two or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, so they go on to win that game 65-51. Uh, then they beat Old Dominion 69-56. Uh, Both those games at home. Both games that I wasn't worried about them you know, collapsing per se, but I did think Charlotte and Old ODU could give them problems Oh yeah. Uh, in, in certain ways. But it goes back to what we've said. If they shoot the ball at a high level, there's not many teams – that can beat them. And I don't just mean like in conference USA, I mean really in the country. Like there's a lot of teams that will struggle with North Texas if they shoot 40% from three plus. And <laughs> you mentioned 42.2% from three. I have a Ken Palm up and you can filter conference only. So in those seven games, in those seven games, they have um, Ken Palm's offensive efficiency rating is 112.9. And that's holy second. cow, second in the conference. Uh, just behind UAB, who I think is like a 114 or so, um, and UAB is second in three-point percentage uh, in, in that in that ranking. So North Texas and UAB, we knew they had great defenses, and now they're shooting the hell out the ball and doing great job. But another thing I want to talk about is they're also first in offensive rebound percentage too. So Man. it's their first in three-point percentage and first in offensive rebound percentage. They're fourth in free-throw attempt rates, like – they're, they're, the only thing they're really not doing at a great clip is is converting inside. They're I think they're uh, ninth in the conference in two point percentage according to Ken Palm at forty nine percent. And you know in years past that's where they had kind of just been killing teams where they were shooting like 56 from two. But I mean if you shoot at forty two percent from three, it bandages a lot of the problems that you have. No, 100%. And that's a big part of the reason why they've now won 11 of their last 12 games, five in a row. They're now at 13 and four overall for the season and six and one in the conference. So, 
uh, tied for, you know, three-way tie now for first place in the West with La Tech and UAB. And I mean, that's clearly the best division in Conference USA so far. Like it's not even really close. FAU is, you know, leading the East right now, which certainly wasn't what I was expecting coming into the year. Western Kentucky is now down to two and four in conference. Marshall's at 0-6 somehow. Like it's just a weird year for the East Division in Conference USA, but the West is sort of those three teams that we expected coming into the season. And it's going to be fascinating to see how those teams sort of play out down the stretch. I did, I guess we can get into, um, I've got a couple other main takeaways that are maybe not as positive, but overall North Texas is in a pretty good I'll, spot. I'll go, I'll go, I'll kind of expand on the shooting a little bit more just because I think it's so interesting. We, we talked about Tyler and Drez shooting well a couple weeks ago. I mean, Tyler's at, they're both 20 of 44 from three in conference play. That's yeah. incredible, first of all. So they're both at about six point, I don't know what that is, 6.2, 6.3, three-point attempts per game, and they're shooting 45%. And that's, if if they just shoot 40% from three in conference play, like this team is going to be incredibly difficult to beat. Um, and then you go down the list, and uh, at least from three, and you have Ruben starting to pick it up. He's nine of 27 from three, so 33%, not terrible. Um, JJ, eight of 12 from three. Eight of 12, that's 67%. And obviously it's a lower clip, but still, you're getting that. That's incredible because we didn't expect JJ to do that. Yeah. Um, then you throw in Aaron Scott, three of four from three. And again, very, very low volume, but it shows what he's capable of. So, and Thomas is the one guy who hasn't come around yet. He's four of 18 from three um, in conference play. So, I mean, the offense, and I do want to give credit to their offense as a whole because Abu, uh, just the way that they're able to penetrate, the way they're getting inside. And I th- I feel like they understand, you know, Abu is one guy that can finish well, obviously, but other than him, they don't have those like great finishers like a Javion that they've had in the past. Um, and so they're driving and kicking a little bit more this year. And it's creating open looks from three really, uh, really clean looks. And if they knock them down, that's kind of what their offense is going to be. You know, I think a couple weeks ago when we talked about the offense, they were like 150th in offense in the country. Now I think they are 113th in the country. And that's, that, a, good step up. that's a significant step up. So um yeah huge offensive performance from them i'm excited to see what they do uh moving forward because like you said conference USA, and we could talk we can even talk about la tech and the uab game uh towards uh, later on in the podcast but i i've said this on the texas 24 podcast i do um, with dave campbell's outside of the top three like i don't even know who's fourth in the conference right now it's probably fau maybe rice yeah. like but Rice just lost to Charlotte. I mean, who knows who the fourth best team is? It's basically a wash after the top three. So that works in favor of UAB, La Tech, and North Texas because you look at the schedule and it's like they're not going to lose to any anybody besides each other. This just gonna the top three are going to be each other, and everybody else in theory is going to just wash out at the end. So North Texas has La Tech twice and UAB the rest of the way, but other than that, they don't play anybody else that i'm like they'll struggle with them you know like rice they play and utep twice they play so and fau fau is 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 a decent team this year so we'll see now that's the interesting thing to me too because i yeah i don't quite know what to make of fau at this point so that's still an intriguing game to me but yeah outside of that rice again obviously sort of dominated rice the first time but they've shown an ability to really get hot quick if you let them so that's an interesting game UTEP, I mean, that's another team that's hovering around, potentially could be, you know, that fourth best team in the conference. They're at four and three in conference right now, same record as Rice. And I mean, they've struggled against some teams, though, like went to overtime with Old Dominion. I think they were close with UTSA for a while. Yeah, went to overtime with UTSA, I believe, this this past. And they might have done with them, too. Yeah. And then played them again on Saturday and beat them by like five or seven, five, I think it was. So it's like you barely beat UTSA twice. That's pretty awful. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so I do want to get into, though, I have I've still got some concerns about their offense because you still see these stretches where it's just it doesn't look great. Um, I Some of it just feels like they're getting bailed out by hot shooting right now. 
And I get, you know, 45 percent is not sustainable. Maybe 40 percent ish from three is for Drez and Tyler. It seems like it probably is. But a lot of their offensive possessions just feel really stagnant at times, especially when they go on those long scoring uh, droughts where not a lot's going their way. I still feel like it's too many times where you just give Thomas Bell the ball in the post and he just sort of dribbles there for 10 seconds backing a guy down and he doesn't really have a good enough go-to post move to be able to pull that off against guys that are, you know, as strong as him or stronger. So to me, that offense still has a lot of room to grow, but you know, you can't complain too much because at the end of the day, they're hitting enough shots to get the job done currently. I think it's just going to take more if they want to beat the best teams in conference USA, they're going to have to be more consistent with some better offensive possessions throughout the game. If they want to beat the LaTeX and the UABs. No. Yeah. I and mean, we saw that against UAB, the, the kind of struggles that they can have at times. And I agree. I, Thomas is such a, a fascinating case because there's moments where he makes passes that you're like, wow, this guy is in complete control. He he sees the court really well, and then he can get fouled at times. And then there's other times where you're just like, this guy just killed 15 seconds at the shot clock, holding the ball, pounding it five times and didn't do anything with it. And now they're struggling late in the clock. And they are still – they. Uh, in conference play, they turn the ball over 19% of the time, which is the 11th eleventh um, best. So was that, like, fourth worst in the conference? And a lot of that it does come from that stagnation. Uh, Tyler Perry, like you said, has bailed them out a ton, I think, yeah. in that regard, just with his incredible um, – with his ability just to create off the dribble. And I'm glad he's, he's okay uh, coming off of that scary injury. I was watching the game, and I just, like, really winced when i saw that it was not good um but um i i assume and you can correct me if wrong i i assume he's he's good good to go moving forward or how are they treating him so we don't know at this point um i'll, I'll read off what i got post game from mccaslin but the quote basically was he doesn't know the sig- like how significant it is at this point uh he said a lot of it was caution holding him out for the rest of the game and he wouldn't think it's anything consig- significant at this point but it's hard to say Obviously, Tyler goes down there late in the first half, uh, got his leg sort of landed on by uh, as a bunch of guys were scrambling for the ball. I could see it being, you know, a hip thing, a groin thing, anything along those lines, something to do with his left leg. It seemed like I saw him with an ice pack sort of on his left lower back area on the bench during the game. But I mean, yeah, it doesn't seem to be anything too terribly serious at this point. So should shouldn't be too much of an issue moving forward. And at least they've got the Southern Miss game here to kind of try to ease him back in a little bit before they got La Tech coming up. Yeah. Uh, Cause he, he's just a huge part of the offense, obviously. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll see you, like you said, Southern Miss game, they don't need him. Uh, La Tech is where you're going to need him though, especially on the road, the way La Tech and UAB shot the ball on Saturday was oh, man. phenomenal. I could not believe what I was watching. Um, I, I we don't have to spend too long on this game, but just from a conference USA standpoint, I feel like you have to talk about it because yeah, that's who North Texas is in competition with. Amori Archibald comes out and hits his first five threes in the first half, and then Jelly Walker hits eight threes in the game. And I those teams are really, really, really good teams, like phenomenal conference USA teams. Uh a lot tech if they had Isaiah Crawford, I really think they're the best team, but they don't. And so I don't think they're as good as North Texas and UAB, but it's not it's not far off. Like they are really good. Yeah. No, it, it was wild to me because yeah, I caught most of the first, I caught all the first half of that game and then a little bit of the second half before I left to go um cover the UNT game. Caught the end of it, obviously, where um UAB was able to pull away and get it done. But man, just a heck of a battle between, as you said, two of the better teams in conference USA. And that sort of brings me around to the fact that quietly uab is really high up in the net rankings and i don't i don't want to jinx it but like i think there's a legit chance of a two-bid cusa if everything falls the right way like as you were mentioning all the lesser teams in the conference not being that great if all three of the top teams in conference usa are able to win out and you know only beat up on each other really i think there's a chance that uab could get net large and someone else wins the title game and you know gets a second bid if I'm thinking UAB because UAB is the only one. I'm sorry, North Texas. I I just I don't think North Texas. You can get an automatic bet at this point. Even you'd have to run the table the rest of the way in conference and obviously losing the championship game, and that's asking a lot. And I don't think 
that should be the goal. I think the goal, you don't have to go play perfect. Um, like if it's not a, it's not a bad thing if this team doesn't get an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. That's not the standard yeah. here. That's asking a lot. Um, but UAB, I think, and I'm just looking at the schedule. They have Western next, uh, which Western's been a dumpster fire so oh, man. far. So which bad. Is hilarious. Uh, they have North Texas later on, um, obviously uh, at UAB, and then they have La Tech at at home as well. In theory, if they if they go sixteen and two in conference, that puts them at twenty five and five on the year. And then if they go and lose in the conference championship game, that puts them at twenty seven and six on the year, roughly. That could get them an at large. That yeah. that really could at this point. And especially if it's a loss to North Texas or La Tech in the championship game, that's they're gonna really be in the hunt for the, the, the thing about them, though, and the reason why I'm kind of still skeptical is because we keep talking about the net ranking and Ken Palm has them 41st right now, which is absolutely deserved. We didn't hear about them the way we heard about that Middle Tennessee team a few years ago mm. uh, that got snubbed. The Middle Tennessee team a few years ago was actually top 25 on a couple of instances. You know, they wow. um, they were undefeated for a stretch. You know, a lot of people were talking about them. It never felt like UAB had that buzz around them, and it's probably because they did lose to South Carolina and San and San Francisco early on. So, um, I'm still skeptical, but man, I mean, you can't lose the rice. Also, also the the That's rice is yeah. painful. So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they they run the table the rest of the way. How many games is this left? Anyways, one, two, three, four, five, six. There's like ten games left in conference play. Um, I, I think that's really tough. That's a lot to ask, especially with North Texas and, and La Tech still on the board. So, but, but it is an interesting thought ex- exercise. No, I agree. Yeah. And I just pulled up the net rankings. I mean, UAB is up to 36 now in the net rankings, which is, I mean, that's, that's up there, man. It's getting close yeah. to where you'd feel pretty okay about it, but yeah, I mean, they can't lose any more to a team like rice and it's going to be a tough pass. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, Let's see, what else did I have? Oh, I've got just some general ones. I thought it was kind of interesting the way the two Charlotte and Old Dominion games played out because it felt like they were sort of opposite games. Like the Charlotte game, North Texas starts out cold. They go 22 points in the first half and then score 43 in the second half. Then you look at the Old Dominion game and North Texas comes out of the gates like on fire, scores 40 points in the first half, ends up 29 in the second half. And they both end up about the same margin of victory, 13 against ODU, 14 against Charlotte. It was just kind of crazy to see the difference you could have in that game. And it's going to be something if North Texas can put together two halves of really good basketball at some point. Because, I mean, if you just look at how good they were in some of those halves, they're up 19 on ODU at halftime. And then they outscore Charlotte by 12 in that second half. They put two really good halves of basketball together. This team's going to be really, really good. Yeah, they better do that against La Tech. That's, yeah, that's all I say because La Tech put up a couple good halves of basketball against UAB and it didn't matter, and so La Tech's gonna be that. That's the game on Saturday right there. Like if North Texas wants a chance to win the the conference championship, and I still think UAB is obviously favored in that respect. You got to beat La Tech, and you have to take care of everybody else, and. 15 and three is probably your only real shot at a conference championship at this point. And so you're off to a great start, obviously, but I think 15 and three is probably as good as you can do. You probably got to beat. I mean, if you lose to La Tech, it's not the end of the world. Cause that UAB game obviously has a lot more significance with the head to head, but still that's one where you give yourself a, some breathing room going into this last stretch. Cause I think North Texas is susceptible to I say this, but the only the only possible losses outside of La Tech and UAB are FIU and Rice. I you cannot see them losing to UTEP. I cannot see them losing to UTSA, and I cannot see them losing to Southern Miss. Like that's six games where they just they're not going to lose those games. So you have UAB, La Tech, Rice, and uh, FAU as the other four games. So those, those will be the the interesting ones to watch. I do want to point out as well. I, I kind of mentioned earlier, but 
well, I can talk about both of them. Abu has been great mm, in, yeah. in the past couple games. I mean, he the control he's playing with, the maturity he's playing with. Kyle Eumanns on the broadcast kind of mentioned it, but his they are really seeing him mature like in front of their eyes. He's been sensational just in the way he's controlled. I mean, Old Dominion's got some bigs. Kalua Zeke-Pays can play. Um, Charlotte, to a lesser extent, but still, they're posting him up, and if teams aren't doubling him, they're, he's finishing, and he's finishing everything around the basket, and that's a huge benefit to what they want to do. So give him credit, and then Aaron Scott comes in with 13, 13 boards, I think it was against Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, tremendous effort. He's another guy that's continuing to improve. Like, those two make up for a lot on offense if, if they can get going and if they can impact the game the way that they have been able to. Yeah. Well, and one other guy I want to shout out, those were both good call outs, but Ruben Jones, just a phenomenal game against old dominion. He ends up playing 38 minutes because Tyler Perry goes out. So, I mean, he barely gets on the bench ends up going for 16 points in that one. And I mean, it was really some needed offense because Perry gets those five points in the first half before he goes down, but you got to find that production somewhere else. And, Ruben was really the guy who stepped up in a big way there. Obviously, Abu ends up double figures with 10 points. Thomas goes for 17 points, 10 boards, but just a huge game from Ruben when they really needed it because that old Dominion game, once Tyler went out, I mean, it wasn't looking good for North Texas for several minutes there, especially early in the second half, but they were able to find a way to adjust and make it work and, you know, had to play the starters some heavy minutes, but it ended up working out and they were able to get the win. Obviously, you're going to need Perry. And maybe you get some decent bench minutes from some of these other guys. But, I mean, it seems like they're just going to play that seven-man rotation and hope for the best at this point. No, yeah, definitely. I, I don't have too much else on this team. Um, my biggest takeaway was, you know, life is a lot easier when you make shots. And that's what this team is doing right now. And so credit <laughs> to them. They've come around. Uh, they are now 67th in Ken Palm. And that is higher than... Uh, either the past two years to the, to this point, obviously. So we'll, we'll see the rest of the way if they can continue to to raise that. But phenomenal team so far, and I continue just to harken back. Just losing Javion, losing James Reese, losing Zach Simmons. It can't be overstated how impressive this is. Like I I anticipated them taking a, a small step back. Uh, all of Conference USA had them taking a small step back. Had them sixth, like we've talked about. We've talked about this before, but. Yeah, I, I think it needs to be mentioned probably every single podcast just how impressive this is from Grant McCaslin <laughs> and this coaching staff. So, no, it really is, man. I mean, you lose three starters from that squad that won the back-to-back conference championships, and you sort of don't miss a beat here early on. Obviously, they're missing those guys in some areas, but they've had other guys find ways to step up and step into bigger roles. So, I agree. I don't think, I don't think they could have hoped for much better to start this season outside of scoring a few extra points and beating Buffalo and Miami. Man, that would have been we we'd be having a cr- very different conversation right now. If they if they win either one of those games, they're probably 10 spots higher in in, yeah. in a lot of those ratings. So, we'll see. But yeah, that's all I got on basketball. You want to get to the the questions we got? Yeah, yeah, we can go into questions. We uh got a few questions on Twitter. I got those tweeted out a little later than I would have liked to before this podcast, but we still got a couple in, so We'll start with uh, Tony D'Souza. Shout out to you, man. You've been coming at us with questions pretty consistently for a while now. So thanks for sending in some more. But his first question is, what is the floor and ceiling you see for this men's basketball team where it stands right now? And then the second is, do they have enough to compete in the NCAA tournament like they did last year? So I guess you can start on that if you'd like. The uh, the floor, let's start with the floor, because I think we've seen – and I'm not talking to floor against, you know, Southern Miss, because I think against Southern Miss, they can walk out there and just the way they play defense, they'll win. If nothing else, they'll win the game like 52 to 50 just yeah. because so they're not going to let Southern Miss score. And that that's kind of their floor in every game, right? Their defense is going to show up. You get that regardless. And it's resulted in a top 40 defense. And against any team in Conference USA, that's going to that's gonna kind of be what they bring every single night. And that's what I think a floor is, is what you're going to get every single night regardless. You're going to get a slow pace. You're going to get really good defense. And um, I think that kind of sets up what they've done this entire year, really. And so now then you look at the ceiling, and the ceiling is kind of their shooting to me. Mm. Like I think the, sh- the ceiling is what we're seeing right now, them shooting 42% from three. 
if they shoot at that clip, they're not going to lose many games. So that, that's kind of my floor and ceiling. You know, I, I like those picks a lot. And I, I'll take it one step further on sort of the defensive side of things. That's going to give them a chance to win pretty much every game in conference with just the defense and the pace they play at. It's always going to keep it a little closer than it usually would be. You're not going to get down by a lot unless you're just terribly cold from the field. And then, yeah, yeah. it just comes down to whether they can hit enough shots on offense to get it done. And, uh, you know, as we've seen, if they can hit enough shots, their ceiling is, you know, basically as high as they can go in conference USA. I think their ceiling is conference title. I'll add on, I'll add on real quick to the defense side of the ball, just to get a little bit more specific here. Um, if they, because they've been stealing the ball a bit more than they have, I feel like early in the year, I feel like against our old Dominion Charlotte, they stole the ball a, a lot more, uh, just create a little bit more chaos uh, with their ball pressure. That's another area where, that's kind of a ceiling type thing on defense. If they can turn people over at that rate, um, that's a huge boost to their offense, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at it. They get eight steals against Old Dominion, uh, forced 11 turnovers overall, and scored 19 points off turnovers. I mean, that's a huge part of that game. Charlotte, yeah. they get three steals, but they still force seven turnovers, get 11 points off that. I mean, another big deal in that game, just sort of being able to pull away a little bit. So I agree. I think... We've seen a guy like Tyler Perry be able to get a good chunk of steals in some games. It hasn't always been, you know, a consistent contribution from him, but it seems like when he's getting, you know, a steal or two in a game, it seems like their defense is doing, you know, a really good job. Yeah. Second part of the question, do they have enough to compete in state tournament like last year? And I think yes. And it's going to be, it's different, obviously, than last year. Last year, last year they were able to win the game because of uh, their defense, sure, but Javion, James, Zach were kind of seniors in that mold and knew what they had to do and knew what their roles were. And Javion was the closer, right? This year you don't have that per se, and that makes life a lot more difficult against teams like, you know, the Purdue of last year. But if they make a tournament at this point, we're looking at a 12 seed probably instead of a 13 seed like last year, which makes which makes it you know easier. Even though Villanova was a five seed last year, and we saw what they did. Um, but a five seed this year, I mean, you're you're talking like a Texas Tech to a degree. You're talking uh, Alabama, you know, uh, Illinois. It 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 seems like it's not. Like I, I've watched a lot of college basketball and, you know, I've watched a lot more SEC this year. You know, there there are teams where North Texas is, is going to be able to compete with these these teams. Like if they make the tournament as a 12 seed and you're going against a five seed, to me, that's a big difference from a four seed. A four seed is top 16, five seed is top 20. And five seeds right now, I mean, you look at it, Michigan State, I don't even have the AP poll in front of me. I'm looking at Ken Palm right now, but like, USC's fallen a bit. There, there's not that level of of uh, elite talent. I feel like outside of like the top eight or so. So I, I like North Texas chances once you get in, but I like UAB's chances if they get in too. So I think North. I think Conference USA is just really, really strong up top. And I don't. I watched La Tech push LSU, like push them around for thirty minutes. So it's not a fluke. These three teams are really, really good, and whoever gets in the tournament is going to be uh, dangerous. No, I, I agree with that. And it's going to be a shame for whichever one one or two of them get left out because, uh, yeah, like you said, they're teams that can really compete in the NCAA tournament and, you know, go out and win a game, maybe win two, just depending on matchups. Obviously, it's always tough to do that, but I agree with you. I think the main thing is just what kind of a matchup you get in that opening round. But I definitely think North Texas, UAB, even Louisiana Tech could win a first round game in the tournament you know, maybe find a way to get to that second weekend if they can find a way to, you know, get another decent matchup against somebody. So to me, that's the main thing always in tournaments is just, do you have a good matchup that you can sort of find a way to do stuff against? So yeah, I, I agree. I think any of those three teams could win a game in the tournament. All right. What's the second question we got here? All right. So we got one from Kane Pritchard. Thanks for sending in your question as well, Kane. Uh, he says, how can they replicate success from the basketball court to the football field? Well, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> because I, I, I don't know. I, I, they're not obviously they're not a uh, 
they're not two things that impact one another. You know, the success of basketball doesn't hurt the success of football and vice versa. So if anything, you know, the success of football would help basketball because you can recruit, you know, easier. You could take recruits to games and stuff and they'd ha- they can have a good time. It's not as fun when you go to a football game, take a recruit to a football game and they get beat by 30. But I mean, a, a lot of it, I think uh, this is, I mean, this is difficult because the basketball success is so unique in a, in a sense just with what they've built there. And it is easier basketball wise to, I think, resurrect a program to a degree where you can bring in your guys, you know, establish your culture with 12 guys instead of, you know, 70 guys, however many it is. So I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I think you can look at coaching all you want and say that's a culture thing, but it is difficult in football to, to win games consistently. We've seen that, you know, across the board, even Louisiana tech had a, had a bad year. So I, I don't have a good answer for that. John, do, do you, I don't really either. And I will say there's a couple more parts to it. He gets into, you know, is there any reason why both football and men's basketball can't both be, you know, trending in the right direction? One wins on national TV. One barely shows up is how he finishes it off uh, parentheses and usually gets wrecked. But um, <laughs> I mean, I would tend to agree with you. I think it just comes down to like a lot of the coaching staff has shifted around on the football team you haven't shifted the head coach, but like, if you look at with the success that they've had under Latrell, I mean, obviously it hasn't been up to expectations considering what they invest in the team, but really, I mean, it's sort of the most success North Texas has had ever in football. Like they've been to, I think what five bowl games in six seasons now, five bowl games under Latrell, even if they haven't necessarily, like they've been sort of sneaking into a few of those, the pandemic year one, the five win year, all that kind of stuff. But like, it's really the most success North Texas has had, you know, during Latrell's tenure, sort of in program history. So I don't really know how they can get to that next step. And maybe Latrell is just the building block for that. And you got to bring somebody else new in to get to that next step. But to me, it's just about you got to get have the right guys together at the right time, like they did when they had the Mason Fines and all the other guys on the offensive side who were able to get you to those eight and nine win seasons. Um And yeah, it's tough on a football field or on a football team, because like you said, you got so many guys in there. You can't just overhaul a team in one season. Even if you bring in 25, 30 transfers, it doesn't it's not going to change the entire roster if you've got some other guys on the team that just, you know, can't play. So it it takes a lot. Yeah. And and just from a like we look at this at a basic level. Grandma Caslin, there's a reason why he was getting courted by Oklahoma and Texas Tech last year. Like he's an elite head coach. Like there's there's no real debating at this point. He is a top, let's just say a top 50 coach in the country at minimum, maybe higher. Um, and Seth Luttrell is not at that level. That's kind of like the funda- fundamentally, that's where you would say the difference is, right? Grandma Caslin, let's say he's top 50. Seth Luttrell... If you if there was a head coach rankings, which I'm sure there is out there, they probably have him in like what the 90s or something like the 80s, something like that. And that, um, and that's kind of just the difference at this point. And also, you know, football he has a lot of reliance on his coordinators, and a big part of being a successful head coach is under is hiring the right people around you, right? Hiring the right coordinators and everything. And that's where you could argue that he's might might have missed a few times. And that's it happens. I mean, um, it happens at every program sometimes when there's um, a failure. So I, I, I think North Texas, you make a good point. North Texas hasn't been as bad as I think we want to remember them being in this stretch of football, but it has been disappointing with the expectations, the money that's been put into it, the uh, facility upgrades, the back-to-back nine-win season setting the floor, and they haven't been able to kind of build off that. So yeah, I, it's a good question. I don't know if there's a direct answer to it because I don't know what you where you can really point besides the coaching. I that's the only constant between the two is the head coaches, right? Seth Luttrell, yeah. Grant McCaslin. Um, that's really the only constant. So I, I don't I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah, no, I would tend to agree. And I'll I'll address the second part a little more because he asked, is there any reason why you know the men's basketball and football programs can't both be sort of going upwards? And I mean, the easy answer to that is no. I think they can both be good at the same time. 
Um, it's just, again, there's a lot of moving parts on the football side that aren't the same way on the men's basketball side. And so it's just about getting all those together at the right time is sort of non answer as that is, but <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's not, it's not an easy question to answer because I don't really see it as being, um, an answer. It's like, what do you want? You want North Texas basketball coaches to coach football at this point? Like, I don't know. It does. It doesn't work linear. It's not a linear kind of thing. There's a lot of different sides of it. Yeah. Um, real quick before we go, um, I, I kind of mentioned this to you beforehand, but we'll, I'll throw it on you now. Uh, do you think North Texas needs a lot more from the transfer portal or from like the 2022 class, just from a recruiting side of football? It's tough. I mean, they've brought in, they've brought in some guys, right? Like they've brought in, you know, wide receiver from Missouri, Macklin, who's an interesting guy. They've brought in a couple quarterbacks in JD head and stone Earl who, you know, maybe they give you some answers there. Maybe they just give you more long-term sort of depth, which isn't really as impactful. Like they've got some guys in this class who seem like they can be impactful. I just don't know. I mean, coming into the year, I think the biggest thing obviously is going to be the defensive backfield, which I mean, they've added the guy from Central Arkansas, Nick Nakwasaw, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Could be a solid addition there. He's an experienced guy from Central Arkansas. Um, but I think they need more of an instant impact kind of a guy in the defensive backfield. And maybe that is what that guy can be. But to me, they're going to need more in the defensive backfield. And then the defensive line room is a little bit of a concern to me on the interior because you lose Deion Noville, you lose Caleb Colvin. You've still got Rod Brown in there, but you don't really have necessarily the same amount of depth you did. And they liked to rotate that defensive line a lot. They bring yeah. in Tom Treeb from College of DuPage, DuPage, however you pronounce it. He put up some numbers, so I could see him being an instant contributor. But then, I mean, do you, how much do you get out of the freshman Cam Robertson out of Plano High School? Can you find another transfer defensive lineman or two maybe well, in that I think, room? I, and I think Cam Robertson's more of an edge, too. Yeah. So I Honestly, I hadn't even thought about defensive tackle, but that's a really good point. Like, I don't I don't have the depth chart in front of me. Let me pull the depth chart up, and maybe I can get a better answer here. But, like, who could even – Deion Noville's gone. Caleb Colvin's gone. Uh, Enoch Jackson is back. I would right. assume he'd be back. I mean, we haven't heard him transfer anything, so the assumption would be he's back. So you have those two, Jackson and Brown, probably starting. And then I don't know exactly, and this might be just be my uh, uh, like dust accumulating on my brain from from North Texas and all the the teams that I've you know watched and cover at this point. But like, who's even behind them at this point? At uh, that's tackle? a fair question. I don't, I'm not Kayshawn sure I got Johnson? an answer for Is you. Kayshawn Johnson still on the roster? I don't know. I might just look up North Texas football roster and, and go from there. But that that is an interesting area where I don't I wasn't really thinking about previously. Yeah. So I, I'm curious to see what they do in that defensive line room on the interior. And then on the edge a little too. I mean, losing um Cameron Hill to Abilene Christian transfer, he was a guy who got four and a half sacks coming off the bench for them. Like that's a big loss too. You still got the Murphy twins there, but I think they probably need some of those depth pieces, whether it's some of the guys they've already got, or maybe a guy or two more that they bring in. They're going to need some of the depth to step up there. And then obviously it comes down to who makes an impact at quarterback. And I think that sort of segues us into that conversation that we talked about as well, which is Austin Ani is coming back, man, at least for the huh. spring semester here. And I don't, I mean, he, he, wait, are you saying he's just coming back for the spring? Well, so I don't know because thinking about it logically, maybe he comes back for the spring and, you know, loses the job and they decide they don't need him around anymore. To me, it's more of a floor kind of a thing where, I mean, if you have him back, you at least know where the floor is, floor is at the QB position. You know what you've got in Austin Ani. And clearly they didn't feel confident enough to start either of the other guys or any of the other guys last year. So I can see where the Ani, you know, return thing is like, here's the floor. If one of these guys really sticks out in spring or fall camp, they're the starter, but we still know what we've gotten on him. Question. Has, have any of the other quarterbacks entered the portal or anything? Not that I've seen, which is the more baffling part to me because like Will Keeney's spot opened up, but outside of that, nobody else seems to be leaving at this point. So you add two transfers in theory, that's an extra quarterback. So maybe they just decide they want to roll with an extra quarterback in the room. I don't know. So the quarterback room at this moment, and you correct me if I'm wrong, please. The quarterback room at this moment is Austin Ani, Bryce Drummond, 
Amani Gilmore, Jace Reuter, and the two uh, J- JD Head and what's the name of the other quarterback that they brought uh, in? Stone Earl and Stone Earl, right? Am I, I think I think you've got all of them there. I'll I'll take a look and see if you're all forgetting somebody, but I don't think so. Oh my god! See, and we we were talking about we talked about last podcast. We were like. I was yelling, not last part, whenever the hell we talked about it, I was like, it's time to just clean out the quarterback room. Just clean it out, wash your hands, start start fresh. And now I don't even know if the, it doesn't even look like they're going to do that. It looks yeah. like, it looks like, I don't understand. If you're any of these, Jace Ruder, Imani Gilmore, whoever else, why would you want to go back to a quarterback room with six players in it? Oh, I think you forgot Case and Martin might have been the one you didn't mention. So, so really Martin, seven. I, I purposely didn't mention him. Is he still he still hasn't he's still listed on the roster? Oh my god. If they, look, they're not gonna have seven quarterbacks going into the year next year, right? That you wouldn't think so. That's illogical. It's it's dumb to have seven of your however many scholarship spots spent on quarterback, and more than likely none of them are elite yeah like some of them probably can't even play it seems like because why i like amani gilmore's never seen a game i don't think for these guys like at all i don't understand why like i don't understand why you would even renew his scholarship because and i don't mean to sound too harsh when i say that but is that not a thing where every year you decide if you're going to renew a kid's scholarship or not why would he still be on the roster if he can't play i it first of all i look at this from a personal perspective if i'm amani gilmore and I was a highly recru- recruited player out of high school, and I go to Kentucky, doesn't work out, um, go to North Texas. Like, at some point, I think even if you have to sit a year, which I don't believe he would have to at the, still at this point, but if even if you have to transfer in city year somewhere, like, just find a place where you can go and have a shot somewhere because North Texas – it doesn't look like they wouldn't be bringing in all these quarterbacks that they were like, yeah, you know, we got Amani Gilmore and Casey Martin and Jace Reuter back here. They clearly don't believe in any of these guys. I think Bryce Drummond, we haven't heard anything about him, but I'm still hopeful that he's capable and that he can, he can play a little bit. But like from a personal level, I'm like, guys, go, go elsewhere. This is why the portal exists is to give you other opportunities here. And then from a North Texas perspective, it doesn't make sense either to bring on all these quarterbacks and not wash your hands with the other ones because yeah, like you said, I, I don't know like if they can just straight not renew a scholarship, but you can definitely be like, Hey, you need to transfer. You need to leave. Like that happens every single year at every single program. Be like, Hey, you know, you need to like pursue, go to McNeese, go to UIW, go anywhere. And just like, you're not going to play here pretty much. We're bringing these guys in to replace you. And yeah, I don't understand how that just has not happened because it makes sense from no perspective to have seven quarterbacks at this moment on the roster. And we are a month after the season ended. Like there's none, no reason for these guys still to be here and to be and like we, and I'm pretty sure, well, again, I'd have to double check this or whatever, but the deadline for enrolling in spring classes was like a, a week or two ago. So if they're enrolled in classes, they're going to school. They're yeah. coming back for a spring semester. I mean, we'll see. I guess when, when spring football starts, you'll you'll be there and you'll be able to see, you know, who's there. But if they roll out seven quarterbacks, Lord help us. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't even fathom that because it felt like they had too many already with six in the room. And if you go to seven, and here's another thing that is interesting to me. Maybe this is part of the problem, but there's not there's still not a quarterbacks coach listed on the coaching like website. So I don't know if that's part of the issue is they're waiting to bring in a quarterbacks coach and let that guy sort of evaluate who they have in the room. But like, if you are, you've taken way too long to bring in that guy because unless you just are having somebody in staff do that and they haven't been given the title yet officially, you got to think you would have that guy in sooner so you can evaluate those guys and be like, Hey, we want these guys back. We don't want these guys back. These are the guys that can play. These are the ones that can't, you know, I can work with these guys. I can't work with these. That that would be my assumption, at least. I mean, I don't know that that's how it would work for sure, but that's my best guess. I mean, North, I mean, this is North Texas. Seth Luttrell should be the quarterback's coach to a degree, right? Like, yeah. even if he's not the quote unquote quarterback's coach, Seth Luttrell has been there forever. Tommy Maynard 
knows what he's looking for. Mike Blesh is the offensive coordinator. Like, there's plenty of guys to make a decision here at this point. And I just, I have no clue. This is this comes from me just not knowing. I I don't know what the approach is at quarterback at this moment because right now it looks. It's it's that joke that I made a couple uh, like a month ago where I was like just buy these these scratch off tickets and just hope <laughs> one hits. Well, you know you've already scratched off like five of the seven here. Yeah, you know that they are not worth anything. So throw them away. Don't hoard them here in your drawer like just like reminisce or whatever it is like this is it means nothing i'd rather you have two quarterbacks than have seven yeah that sounds crazy but i really would rather have you with two quarterbacks two scholarship quarterbacks that is than seven because seven scholarships are being used on quarterbacks and we know that probably four or five of them cannot get it done and that's yeah no it it just i mean it doesn't make any sense. And I don't mean to keep beating on a dead horse with that, but like, yeah, I just, it's I don't. January 24th. It's I don't January understand. 24th. And I'm, I'm still like, I intentionally didn't read Casey Martin's name. Cause I'm like, surely he's not there anymore. Like it's just, there's, there's no, there's no way his, his, his wife doesn't go to UNT anymore. She does. Right. She graduated. Yeah. Yeah. She like, graduated like a year ago. Yeah. Like there's, 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 there's none. There's no reason for this, but I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. Maybe they all leave this week or something. But well, anyway. and the the quote that I keep coming back to as well, I don't remember exactly when it was from, but I remember it off the top of my head is maybe it was at the recruiting, like the signing day, the early signing day press conference with Latrell. And we asked him, you know, I think Brett Vito asked him something along the lines of, you know, how do you feel? You know, you're bringing in two quarterbacks. What do you know? Do you feel good about what you have in the room at this point or something like that? And basically, Latrell was like, he, he his belief is you can't have enough quarterbacks. So, I mean, to me, this is sort of indicative of that because he's bringing in all of these guys that I guess you're just hoping all of them in the room, you know, eventually one of them makes sense. But, like, I don't really understand that logic because at the end of the day, like you're saying, if if the guys in the room can't play, what's the point of having, you know, five guys in the room that can't play? Like what, what value are they bringing to your program outside of maybe some help on the sidelines or something like talking to guys, maybe some X's and O's kind of stuff. Maybe you're getting some of that instead of having a quarterback's coach. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. I I don't get it either. Saying you can never have too many quarterbacks is hilarious because I'm just wondering, like, is there a limit to what stuff the Joe thinks? Like, (laughs) are we going to see 10 quarterbacks next year? Is he going to like secretly bring in like three more quarterbacks? And we're just gonna roll out there with like a, an eighth of the, the the scholarships being quarterbacks. I I'm you know if he does that, I would fully support him at that point because he is embracing his brand of just <laughs> bringing in as many quarterbacks as humanly possible. At some point, like we're gonna see. Remember we used to see Casey Martin on kickoff return or kickoff coverage, and then uh, him at tight end a little bit as well. We're just gonna start <laughs> seeing that with like. Amani Gil- Amani Gilmore at defensive back. Like we're just yeah. gonna start seeing quarterbacks littered throughout littered throughout the roster. And that's really why I want to watch North Texas moving forward. So I, I support this actually, Seth. I'm sorry. This is, <laughs> this is the greatest thing ever. Oh man. Yeah. Never so I think me. I think we've about exhausted the quarterback talk at this point. I think we've about hit everything on that. Um one other thing I did wanted to bring up is on a more positive note, North Texas is bringing in uh a 2022 high school recruit. They're bringing in Patrick Smith out of Clements High School, defensive back slash wide receiver. He played both in high school. Seems like maybe projects projects more as a DB, but you never really know until they get in. At any rate, taking an official visit this Friday, the 28th. He's previously visited Air Force and Richmond, but you got to feel like North Texas is right in there for his recruitment. Without you know, without me actually having talked to him, it seems like North Texas is right in there. Obviously, because he's taking an official visit, so. The signing period opens February 2nd. Maybe he's one of the guys they end up targeting when it opens up. I'd expect a couple more transfers maybe, but we'll really see how it goes at the end of the day. I Yeah, I, I think they need a couple more 2022s in here, personally. Not to say these these five uh, incoming freshmen aren't good because I think it's actually a pretty solid group of five. Yeah. But you need a couple more here. And that's without me knowing their plan, obviously, but – you know, add a couple more transfers at preferably defensive back and a defense interior defensive lineman, and then 
add a couple of um of players uh of, of incoming freshmen as well i think like a receiver could be could be nice um i'm trying to think what else i, I tied in i think they're pretty sure up at right now yeah uh, i don't think they need any more tight ends but then again line. we said that about quarterbacks and here we are so that's true the tight end room is crazy too like if yeah. we just looked at the scholarship numbers like of players who i don't want to be mean but like are just buried kind of on the depth chart it might be like a ridiculous kind of number and this is and i i hate comparing north Texas to lsu because it's obviously not fair but like you can tell in just how the programs are kind of ran right like there's a way to run a program lsu last year had three scholarship quarterbacks and had two scholarship tight ends yeah and it's the opposite of what north texas has like north texas has seven or six last year scholarship quarterbacks and had like six probably t- scholarship tight ends wouldn't you say like it was a lot alberting roberts uh gums hurdle like i'm just going off the top of my head just naming tight ends here yeah so- i'm looking at the roster now gums uh xavier Kautai, christian lee jake roberts hurdle asher mm-hmm. alberding uh, and then Edward Batista, who actually just entered the transfer portal, transfer portal. a couple yeah. days ago. So that, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I don't know. I feel like once you get to like these competitive programs, they understand where to distribute scholarships and where you can't like it might not seem like a lot to have like, let's say, 10 defensive back scholarships instead of eight. But it makes a difference at some point. So I, I, that's one note that I'll, I'll say. And I'll, that's what I'll end on. Yeah, no, I think I think that pretty much wraps it up. At some point, it has to be quality over quantity, and it seems like North Texas is taking the quantity approach instead. And, I mean, it hasn't seemed to work out so far. We'll see if that changes, you know, here in the future, but so far it hasn't seemed to. So yeah, for sure. it'll be interesting to watch moving forward for sure, especially if they do come in with seven quarterbacks and everybody filling that room up. But we won't know until then. So uh, I think that's a good spot to – Go ahead and wrap everything up on. Appreciate everybody tuning in for the podcast. As always, we had a blast. Glad to get all you guys' questions in here. Uh, Follow us on SoundCloud. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at MeanGrain247 for all the latest. Follow Matthew at MatthewBurney underscore. Follow me at JohnFieldZero, and we'll catch you guys in the next one.